0: New grads, this one is for you. Are you looking to secure a rewarding new graduate speech pathology position in 2023? Are you ready to apply the skills and
1: knowledge you have worked so hard to get? Then look no further than communicate speech pathology's graduate
0: connection program designed by speech pathologists for speech pathologists including a comprehensive supervision schedule, defined career pathways, professional development opportunities and admin support, not to mention social experiences and above award remuneration. It really is the
1: perfect pathway to kickstart your career. Head to the link in our bio to find out more information.
0: You're listening to another episode of Diary of a New Grad Speechy. We are the go-to podcast
1: for students and new grad speeches who know a little about a lot, giving you our
0: unprofessional but professional advice that you didn't know you needed. Hi guys and welcome back to another ep. I'm Cass and I'm Ash. On today's potty, we are going to be talking all things NDIS, so switch this off now if you've had enough of the NDIS and don't want to hear those four letters ever again.
1: Yeah, look, honestly, if I hear the NDIS when I'm not at work, I just like get a little shiver, I'm like oh.
0: Literally, or like when you are out and you see those little like NDIS stickers on cars and stuff driving around. Yeah, you're like, oh, I really don't
1: want to see that when I'm not at work. No, but seriously, we do feel this is a really important topic to touch on as it is vital for us speeches to have some idea of this funding body as, you know, most of us in the private community or government sector would mostly
0: see clients accessing
1: the NDIS.
0: Totally, Ash. But before we jump into the boring content, how is your week? Do you know every week that
1: we go to do this? I'm like, I know that we have to talk about any flops or wins, but I just
0: can't think of one. It's almost like you you haven't thought, it's not at the forefront of your mind.
1: No. Um, my my week's been semi-good. No, it's been good. It has. Um, Last week, though, I did a post, I did a story about using a sheet for people games in therapy because... My client that I saw is very own agenda and has a lot of difficulty with people intruding their play. So when I took toys and he is quite possessive over toys as well, it was just a big meltdown. Well, I thought what I normally do with clients like that is I take the toys away and I just do people games and build up their interaction through that. And so there's no toys, so then they can't get upset you know. So I brought the sheet because you can do hide and seek, you can do people games, you can throw toys up in the air with it, like you can do a lot of things. I get there and I was feeling really good about the session. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna smash it. And he was on his, he was watching YouTube at the time of arrival. And I said to mom, oh, you know, in a few minutes, we'll turn the phone, the YouTube off. So then we can get into therapy and mum just like as soon as I said in a few minutes she just grabs the phone and takes it off him anyway that was him done for the session and we were like two minutes in and he was just so upset and I could not calm him down and the only thing that calms in down is getting his animals and lining them up so we were kind of doing like lining his animals up but he was letting me touch his animals and then I was singing um there were 10 in the bed but then he was getting so upset when his sister would come over because he was on like high alert that his sister was going to touch his animals so (laughs) I just haven't had any success
0: oh good on you for being so creative though I feel like I would have just been like well I'm not sure what I want to do now yeah well I had no idea and I was like there were 10
1: in the bed that song roll over oh yeah roll over so they all rolled over and one fell out you know that one
0: yeah and then bumped his head is that the one no
1: it's just they oh. all fell out that's five cheeky monkeys oh jumping five the cheeky bed. monkeys jumping on the bed <laughs> one falls off and bumps his, head. his head mama called wow. the doctor and the doctor said yeah no more
0: monkeys jumping on the bed <laughs> Honestly, I know all the songs. That is so cute. Well, at least you still got something out of it, I guess. But I was actually waiting for an update after you posted that story, and you're like, I'll keep you guys updated.
1: (laughs) I was like, "Mm, I don't want to put that on the stories because for no reason. I was like, it was just a major flop and I wasn't feeling very happy. So I'll just say it on the potty instead.
0: Well, thanks for being honest. Yeah, anyway, how's your week? Good. I was actually thinking in the car on the way home. I was like, okay, what is my weekly win or flop gonna be? And it actually happened today, so it's very mm-hmm. fresh in my mind. Good. It's a win, which we love. Um, I am just taking over some clients while one of the girls at work is away because I haven't like quite built up a big caseload yet. so it kind of worked out that I would see her clients while she was away so that they have some consistency nice and I was seeing a 17 year old client and this is something that I've not done in a long time I know whoa so different and I was initially a little bit stressed going into it because I was like oh my god like I don't even know what I'm doing I normally work with two-year-olds and you can't be like "Mm, yeah so good (laughs) bubbles (laughs) (laughs) but one of her big goals is literacy and she's got language stuff in there as well. And we were doing the Sounds Right program initial code, um, just doing unit three, I think we were doing today. So for those who aren't Sounds Right trained, it's, we were doing literacy, but basically the initial code means that we were working sort of right back to just working on three little words. And she was having a lot of success with them today. Um, But if you think about a 17-year-old working at the level of learning three-letter words, it's quite behind. Um, And anyway, so I was giving her lots and lots of praise and we're sort of like moving up new sounds really quickly and she was so happy with herself. Like honestly, I was so happy like after that session. I was like, this is amazing. Like, And I was like, do you want to have a break? Like do you want to keep going? She's like, oh, I'd love to keep going. Like I'd love to keep learning. And I was like, so nice so nice. That's great.
1: I'm glad that you had a positive experience. Maybe you will start wanting to take on odd clients.
0: I would totally be happy seeing like 20 of her every week. Like it was (laughs) so good. Just of her. (laughs) Yeah. If the criteria for the client is just everything
1: like her, then I'm happy taking it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it was really nice. That was a really nice win. Awesome. Alrighty, well, let's get into the super, super, super
1: exciting episode about the NDIS. So, Cass, what actually
0: is it? Alrighty, such a good question. I was pretty lucky in the sense that when I finished uni, NDIS was literally rolling out the year after in Queensland and mm. across Australia. So, I think for me, I didn't really feel out of place not knowing much about it because it was so new. And I felt that most people I worked with were just learning about it as well, so that kind of helped. Whereas I feel like now Mm -hmm. the NDIS is literally everywhere and it comes up every single day. Yep. Especially in our jobs and like we mentioned before, even in our personal lives, especially if you're friends and hang out with health professionals. (laughs) Like us.
1: It can be a common um, topic to talk about over a wine. Yeah, I don't know how we always end up on that topic. I don't know either, but it happens and I'm sure people listening at home, if they've got friends who are also in the health professions, they would probably talk about it as well. Maybe we need to get like more exciting lives. I know.
0: (laughs) Oh, literally. I'm not really sure what they teach as part of the university content nowadays as students coming through learning about the NDIS, but the NDIS stands for the National Disability Insurance Scheme.
1: <laughs> no I'm just laughing because I just had a flashback to, oh, years ago at my first ever job, I was listening to parents in the waiting room, not intentionally. I could just hear them because they were talking so loud. And one of them goes to the other parent. Yeah. Do you actually know what the NDIS stands for? And the other parent was like, "No," and in, they said the National Disability Insurance Scheme. So it's literally just insurance. <laughs> it's like,
0: oh, bless! I love when you hear parents saying, "Yeah, like the NSDI." The <laughs> letters. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> so basically, it is a pocket of funding and money for people who are aged seven to sixty-five years old in Australia who are living with a lifelong condition or a disability. So for example, something like an intellectual impairment, ASD, or a TBI following some kind of injury. So things that are lifelong and are going to impact them for the rest of their lives.
1: There's also another part of the NDIS, and I'm not too sure how long this has been running for. I think only a few years, like it definitely wasn't At the start, when NDIS first rolled out, but this is known as the early childhood and early intervention funding. So, this is a lot that a lot of the part of the NDIS that I work with because I mainly just see children who are zero to six. And so, the early intervention funding is for children aged zero to six. These children who are part of the early intervention funding do need to have a delay in two areas of developmental domains, or they could have a diagnosis of global developmental delay, ASD, they could be late talkers or hearing impaired, they could have sensory uh, challenges, motor challenges, that type of stuff. So the good thing about the early intervention funding is that children do not need a diagnosis to access this, which is awesome, so good, because some children will, won't ever get a diagnosis, they just can be a little bit delayed. So this is a really nice help for them to kind of you know, build up the skills before they have to start school. However, to be eligible, they need to have difficulties in the two domains like we just mentioned. After six years old, If a child has had access to the early intervention, if then they don't receive a diagnosis that is considered a lifelong condition or a disability, then unfortunately they don't have access to that funding anymore and they won't be able to continue on with NDIS.
0: Yeah, it's a really, really tricky scenario. And I know in the past I've had a lot of kids who have been accessing, you know, regular speech, regular OT every single week for the last, say, two years and they're coming up to their sixth or seventh birthday And we're sort of battling with the fact that how are we going to get them this support? Like what's going to happen to them when they turn seven?
1: Which is hard because it's awesome that they can get funding for the early stages, but it is especially difficult when a client only just gets funding at six or five and a half and then they only have access for like a year and a half. That's really tricky.
0: Mm, I think it's really hard for parents as well because you know they're so used to their child accessing support and they maybe rely a little bit on that external support and then when that's taken away you know you can imagine how much of a big challenge that would be for families and having to navigate well oh my gosh what's going to happen to their weekly speech what's going to happen to their weekly OT how can I afford that like it's hard. Mm,
1: It's hard and it's just nice to be open and honest with families at the start but
0: Yeah, it is tricky. I think going back to what you were saying before, Ash, about a child being eligible for the NDIS under the early intervention category if they have those two developmental delays in two areas, I actually wasn't even aware of that because for so long I would see so many kids who say were coming in for speech or language who might be like two or three years old and I was referring their parents on to the NDIS. And more often than not, these kids were getting approved, which was so good. Because then they could come to therapy intensively. Whereas now, the conversations that I'm having with people, particularly families who are trying to access it or other colleagues, I don't think that's the case anymore. Mm, It's not. I feel like the planners or people working with NDIS have really cracked down on that criteria. And I'm finding that most of my little ones with, say, just speech difficulties, just, are getting denied because NDIS is saying that they're not severe enough for funds yeah no they definitely have I think the NDIS have cracked down on the whole
1: age range not just the early intervention but there was a time before when you would just refer to the early intervention and they would get funding like this but now it's difficult and it is really hard especially if you know as we know speech difficulties if they're not treated especially if it's motor speech that's an ongoing problem and we talk every single day you sit down at dinner, you talk, like you talking is such a big deal. And so it's, it can be really hard and disheartening when you know, a child is so eligible for funding, but NDIS sees it a little bit differently because they only have that one difficulty in that developmental domain. However, I've only just found this out because someone that I work alongside with who owns another practice, they called the NDIS for me. (laughs) I didn't ask either They just did it because they're so onto it and I was like awesome because I hate calling I literally yeah. hate calling
0: <laughs> I did not know that about you that's yeah. crazy no really
1: <laughs> Every, anytime we have to do something like Cassie can you call
0: <laughs> we all have our strengths and weaknesses
1: but anyway so I'm probably going to butcher this because I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But a client that I have referred to the NDIS, I'm diagnosing them with childhood apraxia of speech and they are very, very severe. And feeding is an issue, like everything to do with speech is a big difficulty. And so we contacted the NDIS to see if it is a possibility. And apparently now people who are taking over the plans for the early intervention have some background of... Childhood development. And apparently, childhood apraxia of speech does get funding now. Really? Yeah. So it's something that
0: they've, because I feel like that never used to be the case. No,
1: no. Because it was like a big thing when we were doing this report because the OTs went and assessed this little person and they were like, everything's great. It's literally just speech and feeding. So that's why they called the NDIS just to see if it was even worth it or not. And yeah, the person on NDIS said, yep, like, but I guess the plan hasn't been approved yet, so that's another story. But I thought that is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's really good to know because I always wonder about that because childhood practice of speech is lifelong, so it kind of meets that criteria.
1: Yeah, and motoric difficulties, you know.
0: Yeah, totally. I wonder if that's really dependent on the location that you are in Australia or who you speak to on the phone, like the information that they give. I don't know. Could it be like when you call up
1: Optus to change your plan and it literally just depends on (laughs) who you get on the phone, if they're going to give you a discount or not? Oh, I hope that's not the case. I guess the biggest thing for us to know as speech pathologists working with the NDIS is about the referral process, so taking it right back and how it all works. So to make it easier to understand, we're going to be summarising some key points.
0: Yeah, so first things first, I think the biggest thing is to know where to refer parents or caregivers or clients to get the process started. So, for example, if you have a child under seven years and you're working in a private clinic, be working for yourself or usually privately, <laughs> or what? or. <laughs> you would be referring them to the early childhood early intervention pathway, like what we were just talking about. Yeah. So, each local area and state have their own body that will represent these early intervention clients. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's part of the NDIS, but there's a company that represents these kids who work for the NDIS. Do you know what I try
1: and think about is think about a family tree and you know how at the very top, it's like mum and dad and then you've got the little branches off and then the other branches and then do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a family
1: tree because a family tree goes up. But, you know, like a genetics thing when you have the main part and then it separates and then the next line is like the offspring and then it separates again. So I picture NDIS at the top and then it's got the early intervention and then the normal NDIS. And then the next line under that for early intervention is the areas is that right and then under that is like the benevolent society for
0: the gold coast and so like places you would go to yeah access that
1: yeah that makes sense that's a good way to put it yeah otherwise it gets confusing because you're like well how's the benevolent society a part of the NDIS and how is uniting care why am I referring a client to uniting care when I should be referring to the NDIS
0: I agree and like I feel like if that's confusing for us, imagine parents when you're like, yeah, go to the NGIS," and they're like, where do I even go? <laughs> Literally. What? I hope we explained that
1: right. Like it makes yeah. sense in my brain but I'm hoping that I'm being able
0: to say it properly. It's kind of like how we work for a company but we represent that company. So, for example, like Bush Kids is the Sunshine Coast body. So Bush Kids is the the company or the person as such that represents the NDIS for early intervention. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So basically, if I'm recommending a client to access this and they're under seven, I would know who my local person is that is representing early intervention. So I would ask around at work, I would Google, and I would know who that person is. And I would say to the families, here is the Bush Kids website or here is the Bush Kids number to contact
1: So if you just Google it on, not Google it, but if you just go onto the NDIS website, if you type in NDIS ECEI, it'll come up with a document that you download and then it literally goes through all of the different areas of Australia and then who are the uh, early intervention companies that you can refer to.
0: I did not even know that. That's so cool.
1: So that's how I found who my local person was which is
0: uniting care and benevolent society maybe we will link that document in the show notes for everyone just have easy access yeah good idea cass
1: now for a client who is part of who isn't a part of the early intervention so this is seven to 65 who has a lifelong condition or a disability you can give them the link to the ndis website to start the application process there's no middleman company to do the application So there's a form to complete on there which makes it easy and you can refer clients yourself as a speechy, uh, obviously with their consent. But if they have the capacity, they can definitely do it themselves, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, that one makes it a little bit easier to do. (laughs) It's just the younger ones,
1: that's hard. One thing to keep in mind, getting onto the NDIS can be a really, really timely process, especially now after COVID, but also it's really hard being an outside professional of the NDIS. What happens for one client won't happen for the other client. So for example, one of my clients has been waiting six months to get their NDIS funding approved and another client has literally gotten their NDIS funding approved in like six weeks. It can be really varied and really tricky,
0: especially if families are waiting out for this funding to start therapy. Does it depend on whether the clients provide all the documentation up front? Like, Does it vary time-wise if somebody, you know, say if the family doesn't return the NDIS planners' callback or they don't provide documentation, like is that sometimes why it takes so long? I'm sure like if families are a little bit behind with getting forms
1: done, that would definitely have an impact. But in terms of this particular client and why it took so long, got no idea. Every time the parent would call NDIS, they just said they had a really long like backlog, which can be tricky, but... The important thing is that if you're referring a client to the NDIS, you will need to provide some kind of evidence to them stating why the client needs access to funding, specifically for speech. Don't go and talk about areas of OT or physio or anything like that. It just needs to be related to our area of practice,
0: which is probably a no-brainer, but I just thought I'd add that in there. Oh, you never know. Some of the reports I read, I'm like, you are not even an OT. Why would you add that? Oh my God. Or vice versa when like OTs write things about speech and I'm like, stop. Yeah, yeah, it can um, be a little bit tricky.
1: So the evidence that you have to supply is usually done up as a report, which can be quite lengthy to complete, but your workplace should definitely have some templates available for you to use to help you get this started and in this report it's really important to use your clinical reasoning to justify the functional impacts of your client's communication difficulty so you definitely need to think back to uni days and the icf the international classification of functioning
0: oh good remembering yeah thank you i'm just going to add a winky face on the end there (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that part is really, really important because if you're really good at justifying something, you're probably going to get approved. Mm -hmm. So I would say spend a lot of time on that part. And think functional. Yeah. I often relate it back to how the child is going to go engaging in things that are like a normal child would engage in. So for example, like sleepovers or school camps or like things that they're going to engage in.
1: I've never even thought about that because I normally just think about school and like activities in the community because the NDIS is really big on community participation uh, ensuring that the participants of the NDIS are members of the community and they are actually active members so I always relate things back to that but I never even thought about sleepovers or school camps that's awesome.
0: Yeah, well, good point about the community stuff as well. I feel like all of that combined is really, really important. In terms of the money that participants or clients get, sometimes the NDIS can be a little bit varied on who they approve or how much money they give out to clients. Like it's not just a blanket rule. It varies from client to client. Mm -hmm. So usually once a client is approved, the NDIS will write them a plan and basically, what that means is it's like a huge bucket of funding that the client has access to. And it also in that plan states what the client's goals are going to be for that length of time. It might state where they can use this funding. So, for example, it might just be speech or it might be for OT as well, support workers, whatever they need. And in the plans, it will usually state sort of how long they have access to that money to. So, it might be for 12 months. But what I have noticed now is that some NDIS plans are being written for like 18 months or two years, which I think is crazy.
1: Yeah, but also if you think about a client who is an early adult and they have kind of stability in their life and they know what they're doing, a three-year plan or a two-year plan is actually good because then they don't have to go through the process of getting reports and doing all that stuff when literally all they need to do is continue what they're doing. But a two-year plan for a child on the early intervention would be really tricky, I reckon.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point because I guess it takes out having to like create new goals or write a new report every single year. But I definitely don't agree with giving a two-year-old $40,000 for two years because you just don't know how they're going to respond to treatment or what things keep coming up.
1: Yeah, that's right. I feel the same, Cass. One thing to keep in mind is that if a client doesn't get enough money though to access, let's say, weekly speech and OT for the year, including travel as well, or they get rejected, if you do have that clinical reasoning to say they need funding, then the client is entitled to dispute to get their plan reviewed and definitely their funds. This basically means they might speak to someone different and have a more in-depth analysis of their difficulties which hopefully means that they will get approved for more fun. This is important to keep in mind because sometimes clients don't always get what they need because obviously the NDIS can't be super loose with giving access to funding because unfortunately some people do just take it for a ride and it's Because of that, it is the clients who need it the most that really miss out. But it is nice
0: that participants of the NDIS do have the option to dispute. Totally. I agree. I think it's a really, really good thing to have. And for some families, say, who have a change in circumstance, a review or a dispute is really important because sometimes they need to advocate for this kind of change to get more money. Just one thing to
1: add onto the plan is that Now, I still get confused about this, but I feel like I don't really feel like it's our it's an important aspect to know because plan managers should know this or you just call the NDIS. But in part in the plan, the funding isn't just lumped into one category. It is broken up into different categories. So the money that's used for speech therapy comes out of a different account and then If they need communication devices, it comes out of a different account. Support workers will come out of a different account. Travel will come out of a different account. So when you see an NDIS plan, you'll have different money allocated into different things.
0: Yeah, I still get really confused about that as well. I kind of just rely on whoever does the books at work to uh, worry about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, look, if you have admin support,
1: I don't think you really need to worry about that unless you're doing like an assistive technology request, which we'll get into a little bit later and, or if you're yeah, wanting to get a communication device.
0: Yeah. So I guess that brings us into what does NDIS actually cover? So the NDIS covers things related to the person's disability or condition. So as Ash mentioned before, like therapy could be access to communication devices, support workers, travel community involvement pretty much anything that's going to help them achieve their goals it doesn't cover things like childcare or education or specialist medical appointments so like an ENT or a pediatrician which are expensive
1: mm, so expensive
0: and it doesn't cover regular clothes food or toys yeah as as much as I've had a lot of families ask if they can use their NDIS funds to buy their child Pop the Pig, <laughs> I'm like, no, sorry. No. There's a section
1: in the NDIS plans called consumables and usually this is like a little amount like $500 to $1,000 and this could be for low-tech AAC materials like PEX or POD or you can use it for therapy toys but you have to justify why that client needs that toy so for example if there's a really great language app that the client that you've been working on and you want to set it for homework the client can the client can purchase that on consumables but you need to justify why it's not just like candy crush it's for (laughs) learning
0: (laughs) yeah they don't give you like an apple gift card to go and purchase i wish But yeah, I think it's just like, think about the important things. When considering which clients are suitable for the NDIS um, and when to have those conversations with say parents or caregivers or participants, it's important to consider like who is eligible for the NDIS. So one thing to keep in mind, and I didn't actually know this until a few years ago, but the NDIS only covers participants who are Australian residents only, which can be a bit of a barrier for clients who maybe have just moved here from other countries or are waiting on residency status because they don't unfortunately really have any other options to access funds other than pay for the service privately.
1: Yeah, and another thing to keep in mind for those working with clients who are under social services or in foster care, because custody can impact their ability to access funds The NDIS does need a legal guardian to sign off on the legal documents and if a child is in the foster system and there isn't really a legal guardian to sign off on that there is some it can be a little bit tricky for that child to access the NDIS. There are some ways around this though, but it is important to look into other options and to chat to your workplace and supervisor about these or to also give the NDIS a call. So Just make sure that before you even bring up the NDIS that the client is definitely eligible because it is a really tricky conversation to have with families and it's also a very awkward one if you refer them to the NDIS and they get all excited and then they're like oh no you're actually not eligible for it because you're not an Australian citizen. You can't get consent from the biological parents. In saying that I do have quite a few clients who are In the foster system, and they do have NDIS. So I think there is a way around it, but just, yeah, being aware of that aspect.
0: Yeah, totally. And I've definitely been in that situation before where I recommended the family go down that pathway and they didn't have access to the child's legal guardian at the time because custody and stuff wasn't officially arranged. So, yeah, they weren't able to access NDIS, which does make it really hard. Very tricky. I think there are so many things to just consider and learn when working with participants on the NDIS or participants who need the NDIS, who you're thinking about referring on. Most places that you work for should have sufficient processes in place to help you learn about this more and to feel confident in these areas. And like I said before, I don't know what university really says or teaches about the NDIS. It would be really interesting to know, but yeah, it would be interesting to know because it. They just touched on it briefly when we were
1: at uni because it was so new. But I think surely now that they would touch on it more because it is such a big part of allied health now and working privately.
0: Yeah, it's created so many jobs for us, which is really, really great. But yeah, there's always stuff to learn. So I guess at the end of the day, if you're unsure, just ask somebody, call NDIS or try and find it out yourself online. Yeah, it's better to ask.
1: And I've found that um I've had to ask a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot and plan managers are probably over sending me emails being like no you need to fix this no you need to do this <laughs> he, he, Zoe.
0: Oh, yeah because you're a, you're a businesswoman now yeah I've got to do my own invoices girl <laughs> NDIS pays you lol <laughs> before we finish
1: we're going to answer a few questions we got on our Instagram there were quite a lot of questions so we may need to do another episode on the NDIS in a little more detail because some questions require an in-depth answer but what's the first
0: question Cass so the first question was and we got quite a few of these when to recommend clients try to apply for funding or what is the process and our role in getting a child's NDIS funding following the assessment I would do it straight away yeah if you have
1: done the assessment there's difficulties there especially if they are let's just say if they are in the early intervention category they're under six if they've got difficulties and you know that oh they are seeing an OT or they are getting an OT assessment but once you start working with kids you can kind of start to see you know some areas of difficulty that they would have in the role of an OT, I would refer to the NDIS straight away. And because it would be early intervention, you would refer to the local NDIS coordinator, which is like Bush Kids, the Benevolent Society, Uniting Care, that type of stuff. They should have a referral form. If you've got the consent from the parent, you can do that yourself or the parent can do it.
0: Yeah, I do the exact same thing. Definitely. If I feel like in the parent feedback session and we're talking about the plan for therapy, I will very much plan to bring up the NDIS in that session because, like we said before, it takes so long mm. and that way then you've given the parent all of the information and then they can go and decide if that's something that they want to go down yeah. and access.
1: If the client is over seven, if you've done the assessment and they have a diagnosis and it's a lifelong condition or a disability, refer them straight away. Usually they would probably already have NDIS funding however if they don't they unfortunately they're not eligible for the NDIS so that's a bit tricky
0: especially if you're thinking of your clients with say DLD or dyslexia or maybe you're doing some assessment to figure that out I have never had any luck with referring a client with those kind of difficulties no on the NDIS
1: unfortunately it can be quite frustrating actually Okay, the next question,
0: what additional costs does it impose seeing NDIS clients? I'm not sure if this one is about does it impose on the business or does it impose on the client? Mm. So if we were to think about for the clients, as we mentioned before, clients will receive a bucket of funding so they would only obviously be able to access therapy if they've got enough money in their budget um NDIS sets out a rate of what professionals can charge for a session or say for travel um and so it's up to the business to decide what that rate is going to be and then set that out for the client as opposed to the money that it costs for a business ash you can help me out here cuz i mean you're going through the business thing but as far as i know it doesn't cost or it should not cost the client anymore just because they're on the NDIS in terms of like admin fees or anything like that. But I don't think you have to outlay anything more as a business.
1: No, no, it shouldn't cost anything. I think the only difference is if you're an NDIS registered provider, that means you can see NDIA clients, which we haven't touched on this yet. Uh, I think you have to pay to be NDIS registered, I'm not too sure. So that would be the only cost.
0: Yeah, I think from chatting to other business owners, it costs quite a bit to do. So yeah, that would be the only
1: thing. So to to follow on to that, we had a question is how does speeches go billing NDIS clients? You really only should have to worry about this if you're a sole practitioner or own your own business. But there are, when you think about a client's plan, there's three ways that the plan could be managed. There's NDIA managed, which is agency managed. There's plan managed or there's self-managed. So if you're self-managed, you have access to all of your funds and you do all of your invoicing, get the money from NDIS or yourself. Otherwise, you can have a plan manager who does that or an agency who does that. So to see NDIA clients, you need to be NDIS registered. But if you're not NDIS registered, you can see self or plan managed. When you're billing, you just need to know who to send the invoices to, if they're self or plan managed, and you just need to have specific NDIS codes. So when
0: the NDIS is doing the invoice, why do we need the codes? I think it's so that the NDIS know what service you provided. Yes. So there's a different code for like travel and therapy, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And different codes between speech and OT and psych and support workers and all of that
0: stuff. I think it's just like legal purposes.
1: Yeah, but hopefully you don't really need to do any of that side if you are working for someone and have admin, that's their problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, or just do what you did, Ash, when you open your own business, like figure it out yeah. yourself. Yeah,
1: Yeah. a few times plan managers have replied back and been like, "Um, oh, this is the wrong code. <laughs> and I'm like, well, help me. We're all in this together. Literally, Let's answer one more question and then I feel like we could maybe answer the other ones in another episode in more depth. What do you think, Cass?
0: Yeah, totally. So the last question that we are going to answer, how early can you work privately for the NDIS once you graduate? If you are working for another company, say a private company, as far as I know, as long as you've got your graduation certificate, you can start seeing NDIS clients. Yeah, I think so. If you want to graduate and open your own business, I mean, maybe consider that (laughs) first. Well,
1: Speech Pathology Australia recommends at least three years experience. So yeah, you definitely need to consider all your options before you do that.
0: I think it's different to Medicare. Like for Medicare, you have to have your provider number. Do you have to have that for NDIS as well? No. There you go. So you can graduate and work in the NDIS tomorrow (laughs) if you want to. Yeah, so go ahead, girl, or, or guy, or person, or person, or dog. <laughs> Thanks for sending all your questions in, though. We actually got quite a lot, which I don't think we can answer all today.
1: Mm-mm.
0: I think everybody's all NDISed out.
1: Someone did uh, send a question saying, why does it have to be so hard? And I read this when I was finishing a client session, like I was walking to the car and I lolled out loud and I was like,
0: feel <laughs> yeah so like that's all they said they didn't say anything else they were just like why does it have to be so hard and to answer that
1: no one knows
0: it's forever changing as well which makes it harder (laughs) but
1: anyway good luck out there everyone who's working with participants of the NDIS and I wish you all lots of luck and great report writing and I hope that all of your clients get all of the funding in the world and it's just a really smooth and easy process in a perfect world.
0: I would love that but if not hopefully this episode episode, <laughs> episode hopefully this episode gave you a little bit of insight in how to get the process started and where to look and a little bit more info because you definitely need it if you are looking to work privately or maybe in the community sector
1: for sure thanks everyone for listening and we will be in your ears next monday bye 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 Thanks for listening to another episode. If you'd like to stay up to date with us, then please give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Diary of a New Grad Speechy.
0: And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review below. Thanks so much. See you next week.